0: Power of Deception. I'm going to share kind of just a sort of, well, I was going to say silly, but it's not silly. Attacks of the enemy. You ever felt an attack of the enemy during the night? Anybody who hasn't felt an attack of the enemy during the night? I had the strangest thing happen last night. I don't even know if my wife was aware of this. I went to bed. I don't know what time it was, 11 o'clock, something like that. I never even fell asleep. And believe it or not, with this big nose, sometimes I have a hard time breathing through my nose. And this was the second time. Panic and anxiety started to set in that I was going to suffocate. I wasn't going to be able to breathe. made no sense. I don't have a cold. My sinuses are fine, as fine as they ever get. And I'm laying there, and I could not get my mind off of that fear, that thought that I'm going to, I can't breathe. I'm going to suffocate. So, spiritual giant I am, I got up, went in the bathroom, and got out nasal spray. (laughs) Seriously, I did this. And Vicks. Anybody like Vicks? Vapor room? Man, I was putting that right up in there. And then I put the nasal spray on top of it. <laughs> I never said fear is rational. <laughs> and how we respond in the flesh is not rational. And I went back and laid in bed and actually I got up again and I went in the bathroom and I was going to get dressed and go downstairs and sit. Because sitting up I wasn't going to be filled with fear of suffocating. And then it was finally where I kind of came to my senses in the Holy Spirit to say, Pray pray. I thought, This is stupid. What do I pray? There's nothing wrong with me. Except they start praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and they just start praying. You know, this is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not going to suffocate. There's no way. It makes no sense. And then it was God. And I share that this morning just because I know a lot of us get attacked, and a lot of times we, we don't even tell anybody because it seems so silly. This seems pretty silly to me. But the reminder, again, we have an authority in Christ. We have an authority because of the blood of Jesus and that he has given us an authority. So even when something like that, it gave me a glimpse. I always tell people who struggle with anxiety, I can't quite understand it. I know it's real, even when there's nothing rational about it. I was laying there thinking, Lord, help those who struggle with fear, depression, oppression, and they have no reason to be fearful or depressed. It, gives, it gave me a glimpse, just a small one. Thank goodness. Praise the Lord for that. But I thought I'd share that, and hopefully it's a blessing to somebody that, you know, we have an authority, and it would be really good of us to go there first before you go to the nasal spray and fix vapor up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm excited about the next four weeks' messages. I'm going to be starting the series today on probably one of the most familiar sections of Scripture in the Bible, one that many of you have probably memorized and learned. It's one we hear often. It's a section of Scripture that has comforted and encouraged people during the most difficult of times. It's one of those, and I've shared it many times, standing at a grave in a cemetery putting a person to their final resting place. We've heard it in funerals. It's the 23rd Psalm. And it's probably familiar enough to you. You're going, oh boy, he's going to spend four weeks on the 23rd Psalm. We all know that. I believe there's so much more in the 23rd Psalm than just comfort. There is comfort, no doubt about it. But I think there is much that we can be learning and being taught from the 23rd Psalm. So each week what we're going to be focusing on is a different aspect of God as the shepherd, as truly the shepherd, the shepherd of our lives. And we're also going to focus on our calling to be sheep of the shepherd. Now, if you know much about sheep, in the natural, that's not much of a compliment. You perfect sheep, you. Oof. But even think beyond that. The creator of the universe calls himself our shepherd. And wants to be our shepherd. The 23rd Psalm, like many other psalms, was written by King David. And when we look at King David, he probably is writing this song remembering so much of his previous life. His fleeing for his very life. For a long, long time. As King Saul was trying to kill him. Having to live in exile from his own people. Hiding. Living in caves at times. Living among strangers. There was even a time King David, before he was king, had to flee and make an agreement with the Philistines. And he lived among the Philistines for a time. For his own safety. And yet he writes this beautiful, wonderful 23rd Psalm. His life at times was totally at risk. And much of the imagery of the 23rd Psalm, I'm sure, comes from David's early life. Childhood, young adult, as a shepherd himself. Remembering what it was like being a shepherd who totally cared for his sheep and whose sheep totally relied on him for everything. It's such wonderful imagery for us, even as we consider God being the good shepherd, our shepherd, the great shepherd. David, in those dangerous, difficult, lonely times of his life, found great comfort in thinking of God the Lord as his shepherd. How many times do we find comfort in thinking of him as our shepherd? Does our mind even go there? That he is truly the shepherd of our lives. There's much to be learned from this psalm that David is writing for us. The summation or the conclusion of the psalm is actually found in the very first verse. When he declares the words or says the words, I shall not want. I shall not want. So we're going to be looking at at that, and we're going to discover the the major, absolutely a first priority, first necessity to be able to be like David and declare that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You have to truly believe in your heart that he is worthy of being trusted. And that's the title of my message this morning, Worthy to be Trusted. Is he worthy to be trusted? So we're going to look at the 23rd Psalm and we're going to read it. We're going to do something I don't know that I've done in 27 years. I'm going to have you read the Scripture with me. It's one that we should be pretty familiar with. We're going to be reading it off the screen so we're all reading the same version. The 23rd Psalm. We got her there? All right. Here we go. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these today and these following weeks that you open up our hearts and give us greater revelation and understanding of how much you desire to be the shepherd of our lives and how much you desire us to be your sheep. So Lord, I pray that you will quicken the words that we read, the words that I speak, that it draws us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. First few words, the Lord is my shepherd. What's a shepherd? We need to remember and realize and understand to a certain degree anyway, in ancient Israel and other ancient societies, being a shepherd wasn't all that cool. Matter of fact, it was kind of looked at as one of the lowliest of jobs. You're a shepherd. You're out in the hills with your sheep for days or weeks at a time. You probably don't smell a whole lot better than the sheep that you're taking care of. There's constant danger, constant fear, and that's what you are, a shepherd out in the wilderness. And usually if you are an Israeli family, a Jewish family, and you had sheep so that there was a need for a shepherd, that job went to the youngest son. Because it was the lowliest of jobs. So we put the youngest son in that role. Now, when we even talk about this in King David as a shepherd, maybe you remember the story of when the prophet Samuel was told by God to go to Bethlehem and go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king to be king of Israel. And when he went to the house, you know, the, the, you read the story in Samuel, and, it, and the first son comes in, and Samuel, kind of like we would do in the flesh, goes, wow, this dude's a dude. He's good looking, he's tall, he's well built. Surely, this is the one I'm going to anoint to be king. And the guy says, no, that's not him. The next son walks by. Not bad. It's not him. This takes place five more times. Seven sons. Go marching by in the house of Jesse. And Samuel's like, sorry. Finally says, is this it? Is this all your kids? Is this all your children? Is this all your sons? And, well, no, there is one more. But he's out with his sheep. He's the youngest of the bunch. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the sons, the other sons responded to this. But I can only imagine in my mind, and this is Mike's mind, scary, This is Mike's... I mean, if I'm one of those other brothers and I'm thinking, David, it's none of us and you're sure it's one of us and he's the only one left, you're crazy. You miss God. This can't be true. And David comes and it tells us he's kind of a nice-looking guy. He's young. He comes in the tent, having been out with the sheep for we don't know how long. And Saul says, this is the one. And he anoints him with oil to be king. The shepherd gets to be king. The shepherd, this one who's esteemed very lowly in the eyes of the Jewish people and the rest of society for that matter, looked at like almost with disdain. And yet God says, I am the shepherd. He's the one who declares he's the shepherd. He lays claim to this this position that's the lowliest of positions amongst the people. Yet the creator of the universe says, I'm the shepherd. And I hope we begin to understand today and throughout this series how much he wants to be our shepherd. And how badly he he desires in his heart that we would be his sheep. And we'll see that. He will be the shepherd if we choose to surrender ourselves to him. And say, yes, Lord, I want to be one of your sheep. I want to be part of your flock. That's what I want. David declared, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know, you could read that and just emphasize the Lord, the Lord, He is truly my shepherd. Mine. I'm His sheep. He is worthy to be trusted. David could say those words because he knew in his heart that God is worthy to be trusted. We need to answer the question in our own minds, who is this Lord that's declaring to be the good shepherd? And do we truly believe that he's worthy to be trusted? Seems like a no-brainer because we all know he's God and we're not, right? But does our life demonstrate that we believe he's worthy to be trusted? I am willing to set aside myself my will, my desires, and surrender my life to the shepherd because he'll do anything for me. The shepherd provides for me. He guides me. He's the physician of the sheep. He's the protector of the sheep. He will watch over us. I think one of the problems we have as human beings, even as Christians, is our view of the good shepherd, our view of Jesus, is too small. In a sense, we could say our view of Jesus is almost too human. And because of that, it limits how much we feel like we can truly surrender and trust him as his sheep. Who is this Lord really? Well, one of the things we need to know is he's the creator of all things. He truly is the creator of everything that exists. Therefore, am I willing to surrender my life to Him? Am I willing to give Him authority over my life? Am I willing to let Him be in control of my life instead of me being in control of my life? Am I willing to voluntarily say, I surrendered the ownership of my life to you? I will be your bond servant. Willingly. Because you're the good shepherd. And you love me, trust me when we begin to wrap our mind a little bit or as best we can around this concept, that he's the creator of everything. You know, the first Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, and we've touched on this verse a few times in the last couple months, but in verse 16 it says, describing Jesus, for by him all things were created that are on heaven and that are on the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I'm guessing most of us have heard that before. And most of us would give acknowledgement or at least mental assent to, yep, that's true. Do we live like that? You know, sometimes I think we need to just step back and meditate on who he is. Who he is. You know, one of the things that I find myself doing at times, even not intentionally, it's almost by accident, in the summer, but even in the winter, be outside on a dark night. We don't have a yard light. We're out there, it gets pretty dark. You get a little bit of light from the city, but you can look up in the sky, that night sky, and look at the stars. And if you let your mind wander just a little bit to where did they come from, God spoke them all into being. You know, science estimates, and it's a big, the, the range of estimation is crazy. But when you look I look up on the night sky, we can see somewhere between 2,500 and 5,000 stars. That's impressive. And we're only seeing half of the night sky because we're on this side of the earth. But I find myself thinking, he created all them. How did he decide where to put them? Was it all an accident? Was it just bang, and then they went, and when they ran out of energy, they stopped there? No, he created it all with a design. And as I meditate on that, it starts to give me a little bit of an idea just how big this God is who wants to be my shepherd. And if you want to take it a step further, they estimate the number of stars that can be seen from the earth with the most powerful telescopes, is somewhere between, well, around, let's put that, somewhere around 70 billion trillion stars in the observable universe. That's a pretty big number. 70 billion trillion. And God created them all with the words that came out of his mouth. Mind-boggling. He wants to be my shepherd. I wonder if I can trust him. I think sometimes humans have this greatly exaggerated impression of our importance as individuals. I'd like to say only unsaved people, but I think Christians can sometimes have that same inflated idea of just how important we are to everything. You know, they, they say the nearest star Uh, To us, it's actually three stars, but the nearest star is Alpha Centauri, the nearest star to Earth. And they say if you would be on Alpha Centauri and you would take this powerful, powerful telescope and point it back at Earth, you probably wouldn't be able to find it. It may not even be visible. As the telescopes have gotten more powerful, maybe you might be able to spot a little blue speck. And then to think that on that little blue speck, there's nearly 8 billion people alive on the earth today. And somehow or other, I think, man, I'm all it. I am important. What would I possibly need a shepherd for? I'm a lot smarter than a stupid sheep. We have this inflated idea of who we are. And the reality is, in the natural, we're just this tiny little speck of matter on this tiny little planet in this unbelievably big universe that we don't even know how big it is. In that sense, excuse the grammar, but I ain't nothing. But in God's eyes, He is chosen to desire me and you intensely in his heart to be one of his sheep? Can I trust him? Is he worthy to be trusted as my shepherd? Imagine that. Think of the... A lot of times it's ignorance. Sometimes it's stubbornness. Sometimes it's just pure pride in its unadulterated form of how we think we don't need him before we're saved. Who needs him? But even as Christians who call him our Savior, our Lord, we go through so much of life with an attitude, well, I'm fine. I got this. I can handle this. And he's looking at us and saying, well, none of my sheep's going to find trouble. One of my sheep is starting to wander just a little bit. Man, why don't they trust the shepherd? Jesus, our good shepherd. How can we even call him that? What gives us the right? Well, first of all, he chose to, of his own volition, the creator of the universe chose to create you and to create me and to create mankind. And he is the one that declares, I am. The shepherd. We didn't earn it. We're not such a beautiful little lamb that he decided, I want one of those to be my flock. It's his desire that all would be in his flock. Simply by the act that he created us. But, as we all know the story, sin got in the way and caused a problem. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there became this barrier called sin between us and the shepherd. But he showed his desire a second time in the most powerful way by sending Jesus, the Lamb of God, to go to a cross and be sacrificed and shed his blood. So that once again we would have the right and the ability to become one of his sheep. He wants us to be his sheep. It's his heart's desire. So many of us don't think we're worthy to even have God look our way once. His desire is that we would be his sheep, that we would rely on him and trust him totally. Familiar with Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, For all we like his sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He demonstrates how badly he wants us to be his sheep. We didn't earn it the first time when he created us. We didn't earn it the second time when Jesus went to the cross. But he's crying out to us. Come on. Join my flock. Be one of my sheep. You know, David's clear identification in that very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That that sets David as a sheep And God that we worship as the shepherd, apart from all these other gods that the world worships. When you look at other religions and all these idols and you look at what these idols supposedly represent, you aren't going to see gods who would give their life for their followers, for their sheep. They're always trying to earn his favor. Always fearful of his punishment. Always fearful that we're not doing good enough. We're not doing enough. We're not, we're not gonna make it. Whether it's an idol that's supposed to provide rain or whatever it might be, it requires performance, performance, performance. Our God is so different than all the rest. And David is giving us an example of how much we can trust the shepherd. Because David knows the truths of the shepherd and trust the shepherd. As I said earlier, when you look at the shepherd, the final part of that verse, verse, just verse 1, is I shall not want. Because he is my shepherd, I will not want. He's going to take care of me. He will guide me. He will direct me. He will give me direction and purpose in my life if I just follow him. He will take care of me. Man, if you were one of the sheep of a shepherd's flock and there was an injury or a wound or or parasites or disease, whatever it is, that shepherd was there to minister healing. Whatever the physical problem was. The physician of the flock, so to speak. And whenever we can read stories in the Bible about David says, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, basically what he's saying, the shepherd was going to protect his flock no matter what at his own risk. The shepherd's the protector. The shepherd provides everything. And the sheep trust the shepherd. David declares, I shall not want. I want us to look at that few words two ways. One is simply a declaration. David is declaring, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I will not want. It's like just a fact. Because he is my shepherd, I will not want. I won't lack anything. All my needs are going to be supplied by the shepherd. Now, if you know the story of David very well at all, or just even a little bit, you know that almost sounds strange coming from him. Amen? If we have a mindset, David's saying, I shall not want, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were running for your very life from King Saul. You were hiding in caves. You were going without food. You were being persecuted. You couldn't even live with your family. You had to go live with the Philistines, for crying out loud. The enemies of Israel. Your son Absalom. Oh my gosh, talk about being estranged from a family member. How could he possibly say, I shall not want? He understood it wasn't just about physical or material things. He understood it goes way beyond that. All that loneliness, all that despair. If you read a lot of the Psalms, especially the ones that David wrote, You'll see him acknowledging. I, I love reading the Psalms because David just bears his heart. He can be just like you and me. Lord, what's going on? I don't understand. My bedding is wet from my tears. I'm crying myself to sleep at night. I'm being overwhelmed with darkness. Depression is getting to me. And he'll go through all of this in these different Psalms. And then what does he do at the end in the last one, two, three, four verses? But Lord, you got me. I'm yours. I trust you no matter what. You're the good shepherd. We need to understand that when David is saying, I shall not want, and for us as sheep of the flock of the good shepherd, doesn't mean our life's going to be perfect when we think of it in material ways. It would be just totally absurd for us as children of God, shepherd, sheep of the shepherd, to think life's going to be perfect because we get clear, clear instruction in the Bible that that's just not the way it's going to be. Jesus himself said to us in John sixteen thirty three, probably not a favorite scripture of a lot of people. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Thank you that in me you may have peace. And I might add the words myself, no matter what. Even when I'm hiding in a cave from a king who wants to kill me. Even when I'm living with the Philistines, the enemies of the people. Even when my son Absalom is trying to overthrow me. Destroy me. Take my kingdom, kingship. Even when, even when, even when. And we can put ourselves in there. But no matter what, and the rest of the verse goes, and this is coming from the Lord, in the world you will have tribulations. Surprise. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You can see that there has to be a spiritual perspective to this, an eternal perspective if you would. David's saying, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I will not want. I shall not want for anything. He's declaring it. But I also think we may be able to look at it this way. Not just a declaration, but as a decision. I'm making a decision. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want for anything. I'm going to be content with whatever I've got. You're not going to see me lusting for things or striving for things that are not of God to feed my flesh. I choose to believe and put all my trust in Him that I shall not want. I'm going to be content in my life. I'm going to be content in His care. I'm not going to desire anything more. What would you trade for His care, for His protection, for His guidance, Him leading your life. What would you trade? I think most of us would say nothing. And I believe that's the decision that we have to make. I'm going to be one of the sheep of the great shepherd. And I will trust him for all my needs. I shall not want. Contentment. Contentment should be the hallmark hallmark of men and women of Christ. Are we content or are we always looking for more? I think it's a hard thing in our world that we live in, our culture that we live in. We are being bombarded in media, social media, television, whatever it is, to be discontent. Marketing is all about creating discontentment. So that you will absolutely need whatever's being marketed, then I can be content. If I only had that, or we start to envy what other people have, I would be content if I had a house like yours. If I had a new car or a big I'd really like a big four wheel drive pickup, especially on days like today, I'd be content then. Contentment. Where does our contentment come from? Our contentment should come from knowing the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. He will provide all that I need. And He's the most loving Father, the most generous shepherd ever. He'll give us more than we need, but He promises to give us what we need. I shall not want. All I want is the care and the management of the good shepherd. That's all I want. How can we have this attitude like David had? Well, first of all, we have to know what I hope you've you've been hearing from me. We have to have the right shepherd. We have to have the right shepherd. There's a lot of different religions and a lot of different gods out there there's a lot of people who would tell you differently. You don't need that. I'm going to take all the fun out of your life, for goodness sakes. I don't know much Bible, but I know I'm not supposed to do this, that, or the other thing. And it's kind of fun. We need to know and have the right shepherd, first and foremost. And we need to know how much He loves us. We hear that, I hope you hear that from here so often in Bob's teaching in your life. I hope you hear that over and over and over and over and over because we have the hardest time believing that. How much he loves us. He wants to be the shepherd more than we want to be the sheep. It's the truth. He wants to be our shepherd. It's just an amazing thing, especially when you look at it in the in the imagery of ancient Israel and other civilizations when me and that shepherd, geez, you're going to go out with those stinky sheep. You're going to smell like those sheep. You're going to have to touch those sheep. You're going to have to feed those. Why would you want that headache? The Lord says, that's me. I want that headache. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. And we need to know how he views us. I mean, if we can just get those things into our heart, Believe Him wholeheartedly. No matter what we're going through, how much He loves us and cares for us. I mean, that shepherd, even in the natural, would lay down His life for that flock of sheep. How much greater would our shepherd, how far would He go all the way to the cross? That's how far He'd go for His sheep. All of these things are true if we entrust Him, put our trust in Him. He's not going to make any of us become a sheep. There is not that peace available until we are a sheep. We need to understand how we become one of His sheep, accepting Christ, repenting of our sins, seeking the forgiveness that's only possible because of the blood that we sang about this morning, because of His death, His burial, His resurrection. If we've not accepted him as our personal shepherd, we're not one of his sheep. That peace that we declare isn't available to us unless we're one of his sheep. I believe that seeing Jesus as he really is, his desire to be our shepherd and how much he loves his sheep, is what can give us, it's the only thing that can give us peace, confidence, and rest in so many of the things we go through in this life. When Jesus said there will be tribulations as long as we're in this world, we could all probably say amen to that. Man, are there tribulations. But he says, don't worry. I've got this for you. I'll be with you. In John 10, verse 11, he declares, this is Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In the verse right before that, a verse that this church holds dear, John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. This is the good shepherd talking. Declaring promises for his sheep. Question is, have you said yes to the invitation to become a sheep? It should be humbling. Because we could never do it on our own. We need the shepherd. Only when we say yes can we become one who can call out as David did, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the writings of David, your word. We thank you for the life that he lived, that we can see what he went through to know that you are trustworthy no matter what. Lord, I know there's always some in our midst that are going through those tribulations that we will go through in this world. And at times they feel overwhelming because they are in our own strength. But as David declared, I shall have no want. We can declare that too. Even in the midst of those trials and tribulations, I pray, God, that we would find that place of contentment knowing that we can have perfect peace because you're our shepherd. That all you declare about yourself is true. And that we would... You would give us the grace to believe in our hearts and our minds how badly you desire to be our shepherd. How intensely you love us. And with that realization, we would willingly surrender ourselves and be one of your sheep. But I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you in this way, today would be a day they would just declare I need Jesus. I need my sins to be forgiven. And they can only be forgiven by accepting the gift of salvation through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That he died, he shed his blood, that my sins might be forgiven. And that we would surrender our lives to you. In a sense declaring, I want to be one of your sheep. I pray that would become so real and be made even more real as we continue to go through this section of your word. And Lord, now I pray for safety on the roads for everyone that is here as we go home. And for those that may be traveling, God, watch over them. Keep us safe. Lord, we thank you that your eye is truly on us at all times that you are worthy of our trust we ask all these things in Jesus name amen